told you're not qualified for something you want to do because of your background is something that many people experience, and we talk about a lot on this podcast. There are many ways people move past this. There are many ways you can move past this. Not believing the opinion of these people that are telling you this, learning more skills to help you feel more confident in what you bring to the table, add them to your resume. You can volunteer in an area that interests you and that relates to what you want to pursue. Prove them wrong and then come back and rub it in their face if that calls to you. I'm not telling you to do that. Don't tell anybody I sent you. I'll be back in five or six days. No, you'll be back in five or six pieces. The list can go on. We cover a lot of these, though there are some folks who are told that they are not capable of doing something because of a physical difference that they have. Overcoming obstacles that other people in society put in front of you is very different for a blind person than a seeing person. Ray McAllister is here today. He has a degenerative eye disorder, which caused him to lose sight and eventually his eyes at a very young age. And he has been shown and told that others don't believe in his abilities. And he is pretty consistently and successfully proving them wrong. Ray lives an incredibly full life and is more accomplished than most seeing people I know. Not kidding. I think you might feel the same. He pursues life vigorously and passionately. This was a wonderful conversation. We get vulnerable in deep in a few topics. I get vulnerable too. And the topic of religion and faith come up. I don't typically talk about religion and faith on this podcast. Um, Not since I was quite young have I given it all much attention. I grew up very religious and was Lutheran for a long time. I had a falling out with the church and with a pastor that I trusted, and it just hasn't been the same for me since. And I told Ray this, and I'll tell you all this, that I am an atheist, but Ray helped me see the world from a different viewpoint. And I hope that he gives you the same gift. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast. I am Courtney Heater. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And let's jump into this very deep and transcendent conversation with Ray. Let's go. This is, this is magnificent. Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. All right, so tonight we are welcoming Ray McAllister, not to be confused with McAllister's from Home Alone. Also, it's spelled differently. He just told me that, so we're good. We're welcoming Ray McAllister, PhD, to the You're Not Qualified podcast. We're so excited to have you and your incredible accomplishments. raised on some amazing things, being legally blind, and I cannot wait to dive in. Okay, um, actually, wait, we need to start. I need to correct you here. I'm totally blind oh what's the difference we need to discuss this yes legally blind means that they're not going to throw me in jail for being blind now legally blind is simply if you have limited vision they call it 2200 or less which means that you can see something 200 feet away but i have to be 20 feet away to see it that's legally blind totally blind i don't even have any eyes okay i see so you 
do not see shapes, shades. Let's see. I don't have any eyes, and so I have nothing that would receive the data of shapes or anything. So I, the eyes that I'm seeing on screen are not real? No, they're plastic. Wow. $2,500 a pop and they don't work. Oh, no. <laughs> I think you should demand your money back. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, they should be like the ones they have on the sci-fi shows. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah what is this? I mean, that Star much Trek? Money. What was or Babylon 5? Are they yeah. artificialized there? <gasps> I think it's crap. Really? Uh, apologies. You are completely blind. And the eyes that we are seeing, I am seeing, will not see to the listeners, but are not real, which is a fascinating technology, but also limited technology because they look very real. But you were born with a degenerative eye disorder. You're an author, though. You're a PhD professor, gymnast, acrobat, bagpipe player, overall lifelong learner. How did you become blind? I was born with a highly hereditary degenerative eye condition known as Peter's anomaly. If you've never heard of it, that's okay. It's an anomaly. And I had limited vision until I was 12 years old. I was able to see well enough to play the early video games of the 1980s, you know, Pac-Man, Cubert, Centipede, the old classics of the golden age of video mm. games, as I mm. would say. Oh, yeah. I had to sit close to the screen, though, but I could see them. I could read my schoolwork with a magnifying lens. I could not recognize faces, and I had to wear sunglasses when outside because I did not have a functioning iris that would close when the sun was too bright. Oh, wow. Okay. So you remember a world where you could see. I That's, saw limited. Yeah. I know I'll make colors from periwinkle to fuchsia to chartreuse. Okay. When did you know that you had this eye disorder? It's just been part of my part of my cultural heritage. I grew up knowing that at some point it would go. I didn't think it would disappear quite as young as 12, but I knew that it would likely happen at some point. I had relatives that were blind and visually impaired, so it really was no surprise. And so I just grew up knowing that, knowing the situation, and that's just that's the world that I had. Are both of their parents blind? No, only one is, and that's visually impaired. She actually mm -hmm. has been able to drive, and that's the weird thing. It only has to have one parent have the condition for the child to be highly likely to have it. That is very interesting. Would you say that you probably you probably do not drive, but in the future, I wonder if you will be able to drive? Well, as they're getting autonomous cars yeah. good enough, I've thought maybe in 20 or 30 years, I, everybody would love to be able to get in a vehicle, put their feet up, take a nap, or read the newspaper, or browse their phone, or drink their coffee, and let their vehicle take them where they want to go. Anybody, even with eyes, would be happy to have that. So when the technology comes out, it'll be there for everybody, and they'll get it perfected enough. Once it's perfected enough, which the mass of millions of people using it with sight will get it perfected enough, and it'll swing around to be safe enough for the blind. It's going to be a while, but and they may the first thing you may have to have somebody sitting in an office watching five or ten blind people on radar, making sure they're okay. It could be that I could see they have basically a spotter booth, and someone just sits there and watches ten or twelve blind people, and they're okay. That one's okay. That one's okay. Something goes wrong with one of them. Okay, let's pull this car over. Let's send out the mechanics. Figure out what went wrong. You mm -hmm. could see that, that being the maybe an early stage. 
Yeah, a good beta test. You should volunteer. <laughs> you can get in touch with Tesla or whoever it is that's going to do it first. So I would really love to really shape this, basically almost the whole conversation about what it is like living as a blind person in the world as it is now. And there's tons of questions that dive deep into that and into your first book, which dives into that itself, wingless. And around that, understand how you operate, what difficulties you're seeing in the world and how it has shaped how you do things, how you learn, and what the world is doing for you against you to accommodate for all of this. So we have tons of questions around that. To start it off, have you always had an insatiable passion to learn a lot of things that a lot of seeing people do not know how to do? Yeah, a lot of sighted people know things that I don't know how to do. So it it's all all life experience just ends up being the same quantity, just different quality. I have always been the type to choose the more difficult path, to do things that are harder, more adventuresome. And when I was 17, I went bungee jumping. Wow. Uh, first blind bungee jumper off of Thrill Sport Productions Art System. I have a video of it on my YouTube page. <laughs> I have always done the unusual things, kind of PhD in 2010 in Hebrew Bible and then set up a bunch of documents of Greek and Hebrew so the blind could read them in Braille. I wanted to experience the miracle of birth. And since I didn't have any children, I became a blind male birth doula for a few years to assist women in childbirth. No one in my church would take me seriously, but I found some homeless women that would be happy to have anybody sit with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to help the homeless and make a difference for them. And they made a difference for me. And we all came out winners. Do you know any of their children? Actually, I have met some of them. Oh, wonderful. Um, one, one of them at least. Yeah. I love that. One of my good friends is a new doula. She loves it. Loves it. Yeah. But it's harder for men to find enough work often. And I didn't do it to make a career out of it. I did it so I could climb that mountain. And then once the mountain was climbed, let's move on to other mountains. Yeah. That, uh, is that really, I'm not going to climb that mountain over and over. I did seven birth assists. And that's really, I'm tired of getting up at two o'clock in the morning to have my <laughs> wife drive me out to the hospital to assist in a birth. I was fine the first seven times, but after that, unless someone comes up to me and says, I really want you to do this. Otherwise, I'm inclined to say, I think I'm done. I'm done climbing that mountain. <laughs> seven times, a two, that's, that is a lot. It's, I and then in riding wingless, I had to develop another hobby. You see, the, the idea of wingless is an ordinary man that we only know as Barith washes ashore on this island where about everybody has wings which makes him disabled because he doesn't have wings they don't have stairs and elevators so you learn about disability and what disability really means and that it's more than just not having wings you find out okay you don't have wings but there's certain gestures you can't make and that there's a girl that couldn't play in the band in high school because she could play the flute, but the band would always fly. And the kids thought it would be weird having a Pegasus, a flying horse in, in among the band, though actually the Pegasus were living all the tricks and would have been cute. But they thought that was too weird. <laughs> so she wasn't able to join the band. And the teacher was going to force them to let her, but she's like, just never mind, forget it. She find out that being disabled affects more than just the one disability that, that you have. One of the ways the wingless survive is by becoming acrobats. They get on each other's shoulders to reach things that are up high. I needed to learn how to do that so I could describe it correctly. 
I've seen your YouTube videos. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I had some friends that let me lift on my shoulders to sit and I got good at giving people shoulder rides and actually found that they were having as much fun as I was. And I'm like, you know, this is good. I need to have someone stand on my shoulders. So I called, reached out to an area gymnasium that does gymnastics. And they had me down there a couple of weeks later. And they had me one of the light female tops, show me how to get her standing on my shoulders. And within a few minutes, I was getting her up and down without any assistance. Wow. And on the way home, I'm like going, this is actually cool. I actually had fun. I didn't know I could do this safely. <laughs> I just thought they just go through the motions. All right, you know it now. I'm like, yeah, but I'm really enjoying this. So I spent, it was just before Christmas vacation. This was a school, so they were shut down during vacation. I spent the vacation getting my headstand back. I Some people, when I was doing my PhD, they taught me how to do a headstand some Saturday night. I thought it might be something kind of fun for them to do. And it was actually fun for them and me. So I got that back and I visited their open gyms for the next couple months until COVID shut everything down. I knew what I needed to know just in time for COVID so I could finish the manuscript and describe the acrobatic scenes more correctly. But what I wasn't counting on was being able to describe the emotional value of Barath the first time he has someone standing on his shoulders and he's holding her correctly and supporting her just below the knees with his hands and all that that they have you do and having her jump down and he takes her hands and helps with it. And I was able to transfer that to him and have him say, this actually was fun. Mm -hmm. I've never done this before. And I would not have thought of putting that into the book. I just, I just thought if I just read on the internet how to do it too high, as they call them, I would have described it and it would have been mechanically correct, but emotionally useless. But instead, I was able to really get into Barth's emotions, having more, being more of a desk scholar and doing all this academic stuff suddenly he's out there to survive learning these things he's finding this is actually cool i didn't know i could do this safely yeah and how tall are you just I'm six feet okay 90 pounds and i've had people 160 standing on my shoulders before i've given shoulder rides to people over 200 pounds sitting on my shoulders although a lot of them now if they're going to do it, i have them stand on a chair so i don't have to get down quite as low to haul them up but i can still bear their weight and and that's been a lot of especially during covid when all the gyms were shut down as i come over give them a shoulder ride at least it gives me a little bit of acrobatic practice they don't have to do anything i do all the work but i get all <laughs> the practice too which is fun and i found out that people actually like doing these moving to music on my shoulders and so i put these videos on youtube of people riding on my shoulders to music and that was fun and then i started doing more acrobatic training with some younger people that i could teach some real serious moves to and people that had fun riding on my shoulders hey mm -hmm. would you like to do something for real sure so i showed them some real moves and they find it fun and so that's where i got some actual real acrobatic routines up there and had their family spotting so everything would be safe. And I do go into that in wingless as well, the importance of having somebody with you. Yeah. At least when the person isn't a, isn't a telepath and where they could just guide you with their thoughts. But that's another story. You have to read the book to get into that mess. And so I, this has been something that's changed. I'm working on my handstand. I can hold it for a couple of seconds fairly often now after three years. I enjoy doing this. It's a great way to get exercise. I've never had so much fun exercising. And that's actually another issue with mm. blindness people don't think about is it's harder to work out. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, fine. You got weightlifting, calisthenics. Those can be boring. Mm. I used to do push-ups and sit-ups while watching TV. The TV was an anesthetic to keep me from getting bored. 
just before I learned gymnastics, I started doing some Zumba. I had a Zumba instructor come over, show me some moves. I started doing aerobic dance. That was fun. I started learning gymnastics, worked that into it. I was able to Zumba and gymnastics through the pandemic and I didn't gain any weight. Oh man, you're one of the only ones, and right? A, lo a lot of people, in fact, this is something where disability actually was an advantage. A lot of people are like, oh no, the gyms are closed. Help, what am I going to do? I'm like going, get over it, get a spot of floor, put some music on and dance. I am trained to look at my problem, my available resources, exploit the resources I have to solve the problem and not complain if it's not as exciting as what everybody else gets to do. Yes. My training. Yeah, then that's your world. And that's what just, as soon as COVID hit, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to keep working out. I didn't miss a beat. Mm -hmm. Lock down, just put some upbeat music on and do some Zumba and gymnastics for an hour. I didn't, this is what I did before. I didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Everyone else is gaining weight, 30, 40 pounds, whatever. I don't even notice it. That's oh. because I'm trained to look at my resor resources I have and make things work. And that is something where my disability may actually be an advantage. I love that framing of it. And that's a really good segue into how Wingless addresses that disabled person's experience, Bereth with the world. So it's difficult. It's unjust for differently abled folks right now in our world. I feel like the fictional world of Bereth and the winged, is that what they're called? The winged. Yeah. Winged. Bareth among the winged. Yeah. The winged and the wingless. Yeah. So I do feel like in a lot of ways, they were very accepting of him most ways and like accommodating and they wanted to have the him help them in terms of their flight practice and everything with a person but in the real world it doesn't look like that so let's talk more about the representation in wingless for disabled folks and what does this look like in your life what are those parallels and differences actually yeah barth is treated fairly well by the other wingless. Arth and Rayada, two females, they take him under their wingless wings, shall mm -hmm. we say. They defend him when he's attacked. They know martial arts really well. They know how to take someone who's winged, flying at you, and they'll grab the person's arms, parry them into the ground, knock them out. They're good at that. Barth is not. Mm -hmm. can defend him. They teach him acrobatics. Now, the other winged the winged people are the ones that give him trouble. As soon as he gets there, three winged people grab him without telling him and carry him up to the top of a 400 foot tall wall to talk with him. And he feels like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and please don't remind me the next line. <laughs> and they just grab him unceremoniously. And I've had things like this with people just grabbing me, trying to lead me somewhere. I had one situation, I was at a college college in Northern California and coming home from church. And this guy just threw his arms around me like, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping you across the street, but I'm not going across the street. And actually the way you're supposed to do that is you're supposed to say, hey, excuse me, may I help you? And if I say yes, then you let me take your arm. Hmm. You'll notice in Wingless that a professional comes to help him down off the wall and she is saying, okay, is it okay if I touch you? Okay, now I'm going to do this and this is going to tether you on me. Nothing's going to happen to you. And I'm not going to lift off until I know you're ready. She is very professional, not just unceremoniously grabbing him. And in fact, one of the people on the wall is even trying to sexualize it. Hey, you got this pretty woman carrying you down. Some of us would give anything for that. And Barth is disgusted. And, and the lady, 
she looks at him and says, would you give up your wings? And they're like, oh, never mind. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'm happy. Well, someone's going to leave me. It's this woman. And they're like, oh, this pretty girl is going to leave. I'm like, I really don't care how she looks. What I want to know is, is she going to run me into a telephone pole? Am I going to okay, die and, today? <laughs> yeah. And Barth is trying to get a job. No one takes him seriously for work. People stare at him. He goes to a general store to buy some supplies. And he needs to get some antiperspirant. And the guy who assists him gets his way up on the top shelf, 40 feet off the ground. He's shouting down, so what kind do you want? Do you need the sweaty athlete or just the regular? And Barth, do we have to broadcast it to the whole store? <laughs> the guy's really rude to him. Wingless folks should be a little more humble. You should be glad we're doing anything for you. But it isn't until Barth mentions this to Sharth when he meets her that he understands how bad the situation is. She says, oh, be glad it wasn't menstrual supplies. <laughs> and Barth is like, don't even want to imagine that. She just says, I order him over the computer now. She's not going to deal with some guy. You need the, yeah. <laughs> the super. The... Shouting to the whole store can hear. Yeah, do you need, the, yeah. I, mean, I think she would have been fine if it were a male. She understands, you take what you get. But the mm -hmm. way you're supposed to do it, and the way one of the trained professionals does, he flies up, looks what's there, flies down. Okay, yeah, da, 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 da. what do you want? Okay, I'll take, da, da, okay. How many do you want? I'll, da, da, da. Okay, and it flies up, gets it quietly, discreetly, comes down, hands it to him. That's what you're supposed to do. We have to deal with people being crass and impolite. He, Barth goes to find work. And they're like, you have some very interesting talents. Maybe you could come with your friend and do some acrobatic stunts for us. It's just, no, I need things that'll make money. Cute <laughs> doesn't pay the bills. Unless you want to put on a hat. Yeah, but tips. even then, you don't really want, you don't really, yeah, still, you don't really want the image, but acrobatic yeah. Acrobatic busker. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, he does find out the way that people treat him. And he goes to this church or this guy just wants to heal him. Hey, I believe that God will heal you. And he's, first of all, I just got here yesterday. I don't even know if I want to be healed because then I couldn't leave because no one would accept me with wings if I was off island. I don't even know what I would want for that. And this other guy trying to insist, you need to be healed. I can pray for you and heal you. Barth is like, have you healed anyone else? Like that one thing this big, but there's a first time for everything. And Barth is like, I don't even know where I stand on God. And I, this is way beyond me. I just, I'm just looking at this church to see, I'm curious to see what a church is like on the island, which being shut off from the rest of the world for thousands of years, they would have their own version of Christianity, which is explored in the book. But these are the real situations that Barth has to face. Yeah. Or you have a store and there's a sign on the ceiling that says, for the aeronautically challenged, press here for assistance. And it's on the mm -hmm. ceiling. You can't reach it if you're wingless. And then, of course, you have the thing about aeronautically challenged, this really big term that just makes it more cumbersome. And Barth even asked, so what do people think of this? And the response is, they say it, it's a big word, and they still treat us like children, and they don't give us work, and they aren't very nice to us. So I don't think it really ma makes any difference. And I've had things now, people are trying to figure out how to refer to me. Do we want to call you visually challenged? No, I'm blind. Just It's a one-syllable word. It's no problem. They call them the National Federation of the Blind, not the National Federation of People who are Visually Challenged. They've not changed their name. Don't need to worry about this. Just, I don't need any more walls, any bridges. And worrying about the language we use builds builds um bridges. Uh, build, worrying about the language that we use builds walls, not bridges. Yeah, I love the touch on religious impact for the wing, winged, and I always want to say winged, the winged and the wingless. In particular, religion 
in your life, they've treated you differently because of your disability. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. It's very difficult in many situations for the for the disabled to survive in organized religion, unfortunately. Yeah, they accommodated me and helped me through seminary. But when it came time to get a job, nobody wants a blind pastor. There's a few denominations that have a few of them. I published an article showing how they did it. But it's really difficult. And I had many times where someone's interviewing with me and they're like, you have a lot of really interesting talents. I'll pray for you. And I'm like, I could see God looking at them going, okay, you pray, you're the one to help him. Don't dump it on someone else. And I have this, that there's a wingless pastor in the book and she had a real hard time finding a church. Whenever she did anything that might even possibly be wrong, they let her go without even telling her why they just, Oh, this isn't working. And even Barth, he gets a job teaching English, but then there's an equipment failure and the equipment crashes every day, but they think it's because he worked around having to have wings to touch something and he used a stick to reach it and that crashed the system. And someone's like, yeah, but the system crashes every day. But the employer is afterward, he's saying, I can tell this didn't work, so I'll pay you for today, but that's it for you. You'll have to find work somewhere else. And Barth is used to being a distinguished professor of ancient Near Eastern languages. And he's never been let go from a job over a technical failure. And suddenly he's saying, I see how the disabled just give up and quit trying after a while. You face this every day. What's the point of trying eventually? You just lose courage and give up. And he has to learn how to survive, how to deal with bitterness and forgiveness and all these kinds of things in the book that he's never had to deal with before. But now he's thrown into a world where he has to. He's suddenly the one who's disadvantaged. Yeah. And you find out that being disabled, see, being blind or being deaf or whatever, I, we get over the physical Difficult. Okay, fine. And I'll never see a sunset again. Okay, fine. You get over that actually real quick. What's harder is the way people treat you. Yeah. And that's what I want to go into the book. In fact, Barth really has no issue of wanting to fly. It might be fun. It's not that important to him. His problem is the way people treat him. Yeah. It reminds me of Barth's realization because he had that blind student and he mentioned that the blind student annoyed him because he had to have extra support and lessons during the teaching within the class. Is this how you felt in academia? You've gone through a lot of academia. And did you have to overcome feelings of being a burden? Why do you think I'm so independent and don't trust yeah. easily? Yeah. Although the schools were good and they gave me the accommodation I needed. And I really think teachers as a whole did their level best and the school did their level best to accommodate me. But I still was always worried if someone had to help me more than a little bit that they were going to suddenly say, I can't do this anymore or this is becoming yeah. burdensome. And I don't like to feel that way. And one way I get around that is I would ask for maybe five or six volunteers or people who would give me rides places for shopping. And that way you've got five or six people. Maybe you call one person you know, every few months. Then maybe some people might not even be called at all. Some people might be called once every year. 
and then it's not too much of a burden on them. Yeah. I, but otherwise, I would be as independent as I could just because I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to be able to take care of myself and to do things the best I could my own way. Some things don't work that way, though, and you have to get assistance for them. Yes. And they want Varth to be independent, too, although they realize he just got there. So he's not going to be expected to be a master acrobat in two days. So they are willing to to help him and there are winged people that are willing to give him rides and carry him places and they even tell him so eventually you'll be able to do this on your own but we understand that right now you just got here you're just learning how to use suction cups and ropes to climb walls and we want you to get good at that but we're also here to help you out if you need it yeah there's Is even you... a scene where uh, there's even a scene where barth is ready to climb a wall with some ropes and suction cups that they trained him to use and a couple winged people are like hey would you like one of us to carry you up and barley says i think i need to do this independently and they respond okay can we hover below you in case something goes wrong and you fall and yeah. barley says that would be okay i'll take mm -hmm. that and he climbs up independently and he feels good for doing that yeah even if you do fall it feels good to do it yeah they'll catch him and he'll be okay yeah and i always do that especially learning gymnastics i fall all the time and people talk about people who are disabled what if i fail what if it goes wrong and i say you will fail <laughs> you'll make lots of mistakes you're going <laughs> to fall several times get used to it the thing is you can learn to get back up and keep going and you'll learn how to fall without getting hurt how to <laughs> fail without giving up totally but on any journey you, you will fail big and it's okay. Yeah. You do have to have that extra struggle, though, of a non-disabled person can fail a little bit more independently than a disabled person. Because I could imagine if you're falling, somebody's going to want to come and pick you up faster than they would somebody that's not blind. Yes. And that can cause problems, actually, mm -hmm. especially because I often know how to land. Although now when I'm doing gymnastics, I'm rolling out of a handstand. People stay out of my way. But if I trip over something and start to fall, people want to run over and catch me. And the thing is, I'm already doing things to keep my balance. And it can actually create more chaos trying wow. to get in my way. And unless it looks like I'm really going to get hurt. Now, if you see a 75-year-old man who is blind falling, okay, that may be different. But I have a lot of vigor about me and I know how to take care of myself. And if I start to tip over and someone's the last thing I need is someone to grab me and pull me out balance even more. <laughs> or and it can actually that's that actually everybody. how it feels sometimes yeah. it just ends up making more of a mess it's like if i'm trying to lift somebody up to sit on my shoulders and they try to help me by leaning some direction or something like that leaning forward to grab the wall that's just going to make us more off balance trust me i can get you up if you're <laughs> trying to help too much it's just going to make everybody mess up and i think that a lot of people don't realize that you've been at practice for this since you were 12 years old <laughs> I've been learning this stuff for, yeah, a long yeah, time. A long I know what time. I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. A lot of times people do things without asking. That's so, not okay. Or someone, yeah, I'm looking for something and they move it, thinking they're moving it closer to me. I've already checked that area, so I'm not going to check that area now. And I'm searching all over the floor. Oh, I moved it near you. Yeah, but you didn't tell me you did that. And I didn't know you moved it. I was going to go, I was going to go to that where it originally was, but then it wasn't there. And it ends up being a lot of times people end up causing more trouble. It's really why I often use the old old saying, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. It's fine to want to help someone who is disabled. Just proceed with caution. 
And ask permission to touch. That should just ask be permission. things that we do for non-disabled people too. <laughs> yeah. So, so instead of three people just grabbing bars and hauling yeah. them up to the top of a wall, if the lady comes, is it okay if I touch you? Which at that point, he's like, I don't care. Just get me down. Like, Thank you for okay asking. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, so she grabs a hold and says, okay, nothing's going to happen to you now. And she explains everything. She's extremely professional. I show her just being mm -hmm. outrageously professional. She's just like, totally by the book. <laughs> I like that character a lot. And she, oh. although she also, she doesn't understand everything about the wingless, but she's very kind. Yes, she is. I mean, you don't have to know everything. She's kind, but she doesn't have a clue how things really are. And that becomes an issue later on in the book. And Barth helps her understand a little bit. Yeah. Kind but and willing to learn. Those kind, are so important. Kind, but clueless. And that's okay. <laughs> you don't understand. Ask us questions. That's fine. I don't present her as a villain at all. She's a very kind person, but she doesn't have a clue how things really are <laughs> for the wingless. <laughs> and that's okay. She's still good at what she does. And I mean, if you're, if you're in trouble, she will help you and she will save you. And that is a wonderful thing. But she doesn't have a clue the world yeah. the wingless live in. These are like intense parallels here. So you mentioned you wrote wingless from the perspective of social justice critique and exploration. We'll say disability can be such a taboo topic for many, especially those who are not disabled. We don't know how to ask questions. We don't know how to approach even talking about the subjects and wanting to understand because we don't want to say something wrong. But people need to move past this and get into the discussion around these topics and stop avoiding them. What are your thoughts around that? How do you facilitate it? And what are the parallels of wingless? I always have to encourage people to ask me questions. The one thing I hate is when someone says, can I ask you a question? For technically, especially may I please ask you a question? But anyway, I, I am trained. Such a, a teacher, professor, so. I know. <laughs> yeah, I am trained. So I will catch you on that. Can I ask you a question? I don't know. You just did. I think you're able to now. May you? But I know it's going to be a blindness question. So you might as well just ask it. I've been asked everything. I think there's another reason why people are uncomfortable around disabilities is, and I do go into this in Wingless, is that I am the embodiment of many people's greatest fear. And there is an existential issue here of people having to face their own mortality when they're around someone with a disability. Because if it happened to me, it could happen to you. And you you may not want to face that reality that if I'm blind, it's possible that you could become blind and maybe you don't want to deal with that. And I am forcing you to address that. And I do go into this in wingless because there's the telling story about someone cut off this girl's wings to be cruel. It's a long mess. You have to read the book to understand. And they turn the, TV channel right away before Barros can hear the whole story. And he's upset about it. And the lady of the house says, oh, you need to understand our wings are very important to us. And just the thought of somebody cutting off your wings is just so horrible. We don't even want to face it. And Barros suddenly realizes, wait a minute. That means by me not having wings, I am the embodiment of everybody's greatest fear. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, but this is the problem. It's a really big First, burden. The idea is, if you're afraid of the situation. Look at my life. I'm succeeding. I'm happy. I'm enjoying life. I'm getting by. I'm adapting. And that could be used to inspire people to say, okay, if it did happen to me, I still have a path. Yeah. And that's so important to know who you are and what you want out of life. And it reminds me, I wanted to ask about being a pastor. So 
you are a theist PhD. Did you want to become mm-hmm. a pastor? Was that the path that you wanted to take and you just were shut down from it because you're blind? Yeah, basically. I originally wanted to be a pastor. I decided and no one's interested in me for that. So I'll become a scholar. And mm-hmm. I really found a difficult time finding work. I never found any full-time work as in, in teaching religion. I did some online teaching for a few years, but it really never it really never went much beyond that. And so I ended up going into other things going. I studied massage therapy for a while. I realized it's not always safe for a male to be doing that mm-hmm. in this stage with women could say, do things, complain and stuff. There's a lot, of, it's dangerous for a man and a lot of men will tell you mm-hmm. that. Okay. And I understand the problem. Nonetheless, I'm a man and it's just not safe. So I'm now doing reflexology where you just work on the feet. And I can help any part of the body by working the foot in a certain way. And the person keeps their clothes on and I only touch the feet, especially if you're dealing with an underage female, it's extremely safe for everybody. That's so and interesting because in, happy in the Bible, her. touching the feet too is a big thing. Like washing feet. Jesus It actually feet. is. And washing the feet. Yeah. Jesus washed feet and Mary anointed Jesus feet. And it can be very meaningful, actually anointing the feet. And that's what I'm doing. And my profession is anointing people's feet because I, my wife's an aromatherapist. So I use aromatherapy oil on the feet. So I'm basically anointing people's feet. And it it does have a lot of meaning spiritually. Of course, that also is one reason why in Wingless, I do have a burden to show body work in a very professional light. The media is always sexualizing massage. It gets Mm. disgusting. And Barth does know some massage. Well, it's something I know I can write about. You're right. And they happen to do some massage in the book. It's a totally different system than is done here, but I make sure I present it very professionally, non-sexually. And then they also do some reflexology too. And mm. even assist in a birth. <laughs> even assist in a birth is doula. <laughs> Things that I know. That's why I can write them. But I can begin to do my part to clean up the way the media portrays massage and body work. Yeah, that's, it's very important because not everything needs to be hypersexualized. I completely agree with that. And that was, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. You pivot really well from at least the outsider looking in, you might not feel that if you're turned from one path that you can really pivot well into a new path and just find your way and find new passion and find new reason for joy. But in in those times when it's really hard to pivot, what have you leaned on? Getting told like over and over, we're not really looking for this right now, but I'll pray for you as an example. What has been your fallback for just getting through? My faith, of course, the mess here though, is you believe that you're called by God and then nobody wants you. That is a bit of a theological problem. You have basically had to say, I don't understand, but I'm better off with my faith than without it. So I will keep it, but I don't understand everything. Good grief. If you don't have a system of faith, there's things you don't understand either. Every system has mystery in it, no matter what your system is. And so my system has some unanswered questions too. I don't like that, but I'm going to press on because I'm better off with something that works a lot of the time than something that doesn't work very often at all. I give the analogy in the book, book that Barth even asked a question about someone that 
believes they're called to ministry and they can't find anything. And the, the woman who's a prophetess, she says, I can't answer that for you. She's the daughter of the pastor that's wingless. She says, look, we all have machines that don't work all the time, but we still use them. And the computer may not do everything you want perfectly, but it works a lot of the time and I'm better off using it than I am not using it. It enriches my life. I'm going to go ahead. We have a relationship with somebody. You're not going to understand everything they do. I'm still going to press on. I'm still going to cling to the faith that I have and just believe that something's going to come from this. And I'm going to find other ways of serving people and other ways of following my faith journey. That's what I've had to do. And in fact, I've really had to learn to forgive God, which is the concept that we go into in Wingless. You face something so bad, shouldn't the God of the universe have addressed this? He didn't. We have to forgive, not necessarily as in the sense of God sinned. Forgiveness is a lot more than dealing with someone did something wrong. That's actually a very judgmental way of looking at forgiveness. In fact, it can be seen as very self-righteous. So Jesus, I've forgiven you for what you did yesterday. You're kind of like, man, what do you think I did? It actually yeah. puts you on the defensive. Forgiveness is more about letting go and saying, okay, I don't get this, but I'm moving forward. I'm going to let this go. And I just, I don't know what you were doing, God. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I'm going to move forward and just continue and just say, I don't get it. It's a mystery, life full of mysteries, and that's it. And that's what I've had to do. A lot of Holocaust survivors had to do things similar to that. After all, you're the chosen people, good grief. Come on. And this is going to happen? Boy, that's really a problem. Okay. A lot of them just had to say, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's some it. deep shit. Yep. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. And we're just going to move forward. People have been molested and trafficked and all kinds of stuff. You're like, how do you deal with that? I'll, and one I met first was a victim of sex traffic. And I said, actually, have you forgiven God? I knew just that's the first thing. And she's like, yes, I have. Which means that she's already thought about it. You just have to do something to just that bad. That's the only way out. And if you don't understand what it means to be in a situation where you have to forgive God, I'm happy for you. Okay, good. Don't try that. I pray that you never have to be in a situation where you have to understand that. Good. If your life has been that good, don't complain. Just enjoy what you have. Don't understand it. But for those of us who have had to walk through that darkness, sometimes that's what you just have to do. Yeah. Yeah. This is like bringing a lot of, a lot back from when I was much more religious in terms of knowing that everything happens for a reason outside of your control and outside of your knowledge. You don't always have to know that reason, but Sometimes on your path of life, you realize the reason later on because it is shown to you as a strength light or it's shown to you in a light where you can help somebody else through it. And that's like the beautiful thing about struggle. And I know talking to you more, maybe one of your purposes, because there's multiple, I would think, is to help other people through struggles in life and just help them understand the struggles of blind people. Would you well, agree with that? I yeah, I have realized that it can be that. And also by getting my PhD, I was able to set up all those documents so the blind could read Greek and Hebrew documents in Braille. I actually worked with a team of two other people do this. That's so cool. Um, and yeah. we set up lots, tens of thousands of pages of material. And that would not have happened if I was working as a full-time professor. I would not have had the time to do that. Yeah, And by writing linguists and by talking in podcasts like this, I'm able to get the word out of the struggles that people face with disability. And by my going through what I went through, 
I'm able to help people understand if a blind person comes to your church and says they feel called to do something, they are just just as able as anybody else. And you need to work with them and not just somebody says, as soon as something goes wrong, they can't do it. But to try to figure out what is happening, why are things the way they are? We have a conflict that doesn't always mean it's the disabled person's fault. Actually, anybody who knows anything about conflicts knows that a conflict is almost never only one person's fault. Mm -hmm. Usually a cultural issue, some misunderstanding. We need to look at it that way. And to take people's beliefs seriously, even if you don't think that they're called, if they think they are, then let's find something they can do. You can say that for a disability with any path they want to take, yeah. becoming a pastor. It could be yeah. you want to work in an industry that is not usually accommodating to people that are blind or with other mm -hmm. disabilities. Mm -hmm. You have to just break down those walls and help them break down the walls because yeah. They shouldn't have to do it alone. Even if you can, you absolutely can do it alone, but it's going to take longer. So other people should help you. And the world needs to, to all rally around that. And that's a beautiful message. That's not just something I've been finding healing from and learning gymnastics and acrobatics, learning to do things where I'm working with somebody else and have to pay attention to the, what they're doing and what they're communicating non-verbally yeah. to adjust the way that their body moves. I have to move and to accommodate that and communicate clearly. Okay, I'm going to lift you up a little bit now. Okay, we're going to turn around. We're going to do this so they understand what's happening. And I have been finding a lot of healing actually in learning to work with people in that type of environment. Yeah. That is awesome. And also one of my questions about feedback and growth, and that's outside of any, these like with anybody, you need to have feedback when you grow. And that's really cool. That kind of feedback where you're literally feeling the feedback and readjusting and figuring things out as you go. So we are coming up pretty close to time, but you did promise to recite a poem or two. So I'm going to ask you to do that. And you can choose. I think, and the one I often recite, I do have a video of me doing it on YouTube, which also has a transcript of the poem. It's called Your Wings. And it's taken from that lady called Chilea, the one that helps Barth at the beginning, helps carry him down from the wall. And is so professional. He meets her later on in the book. And she wants him to give her a ride on his shoulders. And he's like, I don't, you have wings. What's the point? <laughs> he twirls her around a little bit and does a couple balances and, has to tip upside down a little bit over his back because it does some unusual things. And and she he'll find it interesting. And she says, okay, that was cool. And I'm trying to understand where it's like to be wingless. And I put some suction cups and ropes on yesterday. I'm trying to climb a wall. It's hard. And Barth is suddenly, basically, lady, you don't have a clue what it's like. So you go for a ride on my shoulders. We use this to survive. We're not just giving it for fun. Though we do have fun with it. But we need to get to know each other so that if we have to really do this for a serious reason, we don't have to wonder, okay, how is he going to be able to balance me? Is he going to be able to do this right? What if I lean? We need to be able to work with each other. And you're climbing a wall with such cups or ropes. Your wings are right there. You don't have to worry that something could go wrong and you could fall and die. And she's, she says, I never really thought of it that way. And Farley says, of course he didn't. Yeah. I, and he's like, you want to understand this. Spend some time with us. And she does. And they do some what we call shoulder training later on. She joins them. And she helps spot. And they have a teaching a lady to stand on, on Barra's shoulders. Chilea helps spot that. And she sees the two of them walk out of a room together with her standing on her shoulders. And suddenly Chilea is realizing, wait a minute, I didn't realize how harrowing it is for you to do these things. Just ordinary things that we take for granted. 
And by just being with him, spending time with him, you learn more. I often say you learn more by walking a mile beside somebody than by trying to walk a mile in their shoes. Usually their mm -hmm. shoes won't fit. So you put a blindfold on, you might learn a little bit about blindness in the sense of how accessible are things, but you're not going to get the issue of going to interview for a job and nobody's even going to dignify you by asking you a single honest, decent question. Now, okay, you're not going to have to deal with that because everybody knows that you're just pretending to be disabled and so it doesn't have any effect. And so this poem is called Your Wings and it's based on that encounter and it, it, it explores what it means to understand disability. You have your wings that let you fly through this life with grace and ease. And then you furl them and move about for a moment to say you understand what it is to be wingless like me. You have your wings and you try to find the most accessible route to the next floor up. But for you, it's only a game until it gets tiresome or discouraging. And then you spread them out, which I cannot, and leap wherever you wish. You have your wings. And you climb up a wall with suction cups and ropes as I. But your wings are right there. And you know nothing of the fear I face that something could go wrong and I might fall to my death. You have your wings and whatever you do with them, however you try not to use them, everybody sees them and nobody treats you as if you are different or strange and they don't deny you work because they don't think you can do a job without flight. You have your wings and all the privilege they give you. And you will never begin to understand me until you do as heaven does and stoop to my reality and walk a while beside me, learning from me, listening to me, and truly becoming my friend. That's beautiful. And it wraps it up in a nice bow <laughs> for sure. Did you want to recite another one? Or I, just leave it at that if I you could, want? I have a really short one actually cool. that, that they teach children that are learning. There's this group called the Aradi. That's where Chile is from to assist people who are wingless. Mm -hmm. And they actually start out as children, teach them acrobatic skills, how to fly fancy. They do all kinds of fancy things in the air too, but they also help the wingless, which is their main mission. And there's a poem that someone wrote to teach children what it means to be an ally of the disabled. It's just eight lines long and rhymed, so it works really well. Mm -hmm. Called The Call of the Winged. May my wings, God's gift so bright, belong to those who have no flight. Let them humbly lift you high to heaven's wonders in the sky. May they serve to make you free a heart made light to fly with me and let me not forget the grace of walking by you in your space. It's simple. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
really they're teaching really children awesome. how to be an ally so it works mm -hmm. for all ages it's one that, that, that way they can teach the children that's to start out this is really what you're here to do yeah. not just simply it's a fancy flight but to be the wings for those that don't have them yeah. And to help people experience things they don't normally get to experience and to set other people free, not hide them from work, but help them to be able to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, just raise them that way. I love it. Start it young. Be very accommodating. Are you able to slash, I don't know, seeing eye dog, anything really about regulations or how you would get one, but have you had interest in getting one? A random question. Actually, it's it's not really hasn't really been my path because I work from home, oh. and I'm in Michigan where it snows all the time, and I really don't feel like getting out in January to take a dog for a walk outside. I get that. A foot of snow. Now, if I had a job where I had to go somewhere and go different places regularly, that might be different. But people come to me. I don't need, I don't need that. Yeah, interestingly enough, yeah, in Wingless we have a service animal, the Pegasus the flying horse <laughs> and Charlotte has a Pegasus and she has to deal with people wanting to pet her Pegasus and ask her mm -hmm. questions. She's busy. But can I pet your Pegasus? I'm in a hurry. I don't have time. No, I just want to pet your Pegasus for a minute. No, <laughs> she's working. She doesn't have. I know they're kind of right big now. for a vest, like a horse is big for a vest, but that's what she needs for the horse, for the Pegasus. Is it working? Has someone just want to pet you to pet you and she has to go and help Barth who's in trouble. And this person wants to tie up her time and pet the Pegasus is like, look, you can come in some other day. I'll, I'll let you do that. But right now it's just, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> this Pegasus is working. Has a yes, job and that's do. the thing. That's the thing. And then they often don't want you just to pet a seeing eye dog yep. because the dog's working. The dog would confuse work with play yep. uh, unless the dog's owner lets you but you always want to ask first and sometimes they will sometimes they won't Are there... I mean, you get to pet lots of animals in your life you pet lots of dogs there's nothing really spectacular about it's not being able to pet a guide dog i mean it you know it's nothing really that yeah a dog is a dog it's the novelty exotic having okay. yeah yeah, haven't you pet dog? Yeah, I mean, really, anyway. We want to do what we're not supposed to do. Uh, no, yeah. Ray, is there any other topics that you would like to cover that we did not? Any last words? I just want people to know where they can get my books. And I think there's going to be, I guess there's going to be some links. and Yes, in the show notes, and, I will. Yep. And there's also my email address. So you can email me. I'll add you to my weekly poem email list. And I send out an inspirational, encouraging poem about once a week. I also put it on my Facebook page. And in fact, actually, you can often find me on Facebook rather than my name, the business healings raise one word. You can often find business actually better that way. And then go off of that to find me personally. It's easy to get cool. a hold of me off the business page. You find me on Facebook. Otherwise I have my YouTube page where I recite that poem as well as have a transcript of it. And there's some other of my acrobatic videos on my YouTube page that you can have fun enjoying, but you also will want to buy my books. There's three of them actually that are out that you'll be linked to. And they're good for helping you understand disabilities. If you're disabled, they can help your friends understand disabilities. I love that. And it's a fun way of doing it as opposed to just reading an instruction manual. Yeah. It's a way that's not as painful as just hearing somebody gripe about all their problems. You have a mythical island where everybody has wings. That's a fun idea. But you also learn about what it's like to be the one who doesn't have the wings on that island. Yeah. That's, oh, it's so applicable to life. And Thanks. yes, I mean, there is religion in the book, but I'm very careful to not be overly preachy. Mm -hmm. We're just part of their reality. 
And I try to avoid using cliches and all the boring preachy terms you hear all the time. But faith is part of the life, but faith and disabilities, that does need to be explored. And we yeah. need to look at that. And yeah. how would religion develop if it was cut off from the rest of the world for 2,000 years? We can explore that. I and, and love a lot of people who aren't much in our mission of faith find it to be interesting just to see how would might it have developed if you didn't have councils and inquisitions and all that other stuff that made things all codified and exact and theologically perfect all this stuff if we didn't have that how might things go and i offer one idea yeah i love that representation of it to be honest when i was first getting first starting to read I, your book, I was thinking that I would just be like, oh, these are, they're angels. That's what they are. But honestly, I never even thought that again throughout because it is so detached. And that was my first string when I was like, oh, okay. So he's pretty religious. He studied theology, but these are angels. So they don't have to be. And you did a really good job of staying very, I would say neutral in that way. There are supernatural beings in the book. They appear way late in the book, though, and they do not appear at all the way you would expect them to appear. Uh, Their form is nothing at all the way you would expect. But it's more, I also have the belief that if you're going to have a Christian novel, God needs to actually be a character in the story, not just simply like a machine you throw your prayers up to. No, okay. If it's about God, he needs to actually be a character and actually develop that character. And explore the character, just as you would any other character. If you're going to have, I don't know, the abominable snowman, or you want to develop that character and not just simply have the cliche thing. And so if God is in the story, God needs to actually be a real character involved in the story. Whether or not you believe in God, hey, people read Harry Potter, they don't believe in magic. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Okay. But if you're going to have God in the story, in religion where you believe that God is personal, then you need to actually have a character God actually be somehow part of the story and that can be interesting yeah. a lot more interesting than just a bunch of cliches you, know, you don't hear anything about except Jesus, your personal word and savior but that doesn't appear at all in the book <laughs> you wouldn't talk like that yeah they're no. not connected with the christianity in the world today where they say that all the time they, that's not and that's not the way they talk that's not the way they mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. they have a totally different system and i invite you to explore that the way they do things and so it's not overly, I really try not to be overly preachy, but it's still there. But I, my background is Christian. And mm-hmm. so that's what I know. I don't know as much about magic and spells and those things. It would be unnatural for me to have power, but I am familiar with Holy Ghost power and that idea of gifts of the Holy Spirit and miracles and prophets and prophecies. I just have them a little different and I try to make it a little bit more interesting than the cliches do. There's a prophet and the prophetess in the book, although I try to have her be a very, very mystical, very different type of character than you would normally expect. I'm not picking up who the God, who the God person is. Can you say? There is a God himself. God does appear in the book toward the end. Oh, okay. Okay. He appears. It's not like an allegory. It's just simply God actually appears, but it's a very, you don't see him. It's very, Mm -hmm. you get this sense that there's a presence. Mm. But that's all you're allowed to get. And that's very appropriate within the Abrahamic tradition of religion. That you don't see God, you don't perceive him with your normal senses, but you still have a sense there's something spiritual there. And that's fine. That's acceptable. So we do that. 
Love it. You really miss an opportunity you, to make God a woman. And I tell you what, and I have no, I actually believe that God is bigger than gender. I like that. And okay, male and female were created in God's image, which suggests that it takes both male and female to show the image of God. I'm fine with that. I don't go into that too far in Wingless only because it's just going to be too much of a bombshell. I may do that in a sequel, though, have them explore God from more feminine as opposed mm. to masculine. And I have no objection to going into that. But being a man, that's why I also have the, the protagonist is male. I'm more familiar with maleness. It's just it makes sense. how I am. Okay. I would not feel comfortable writing the book from a woman's point of view. It's mm -hmm. just, I'm a man. Okay. And <laughs> Maybe I, I your don't wife think there's anything to be ashamed of for that. Yeah, That's yeah. just how things are. But I do have strong women that save the day. And it's not all about men. Charlotte and Riyadh are females and they, they teach Barth what he needs to know to survive. They defend him. They fight for him. They're definitely not weak in any way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I have the equality there, but yeah, oh, as best I can. I'm still the protagonist is male, like, but yes. still, these these women defend him. They take care of him. They help him out all the time. He might be dead without them. Love it. He would not be making it, doing anything without <laughs> them. Maybe a lot of the people that carry him places are females that yeah. carry him on their back and wing. They fly. They can carry him, and he doesn't have any issue with that. They do it just as well as the males. Yeah, I was just trying to make Ariana Grande proud. God is a woman. Yeah, I have no problem going that direction. Yeah. I believe that God is bigger than maleness or femaleness and whatever people need to do. I may explore that actually in, in, in a sequel. It might be worth looking into. I haven't That's written really it cool. yet, so I can have some of that. Maybe have a group of people that they do understand God is more balanced and even. Mm -hmm. But obviously with the background that Barth comes from being off on, he's not going to just embrace that right away. Right, <laughs> yes. Know? He's yeah. gonna need he's gonna need God to be a masculine figure in this volume, definitely. That's what he's gonna need to see. I get it. Um, Barth, whatever you need. But there's sequels. <laughs> there's room though, for growth. And we yes. can have fun with those. Yes. Yeah, there we, we can explore that and have him understand things better. Yeah. <laughs> Ray, thank you so much for your time and your infinite wisdom. I am really happy to know. I wouldn't you. quite go that far. <laughs> But thank you for being here. We can acknowledge that. I have been here. I can definitely say that too. I have been here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this moving episode with Ray. Stoked you were here. We can learn a lot here. Pursue life on your own terms. Follow your own passions. Don't let others dictate what your life should look like or even what you're capable of. Just tell them to get away. They do not know, and they are not experts on you. Your lived experiences are yours alone, and the steps that you take for yourself are yours alone. Be yourself in its truest form. Where can you find me? I'll list all of the contact information in the show notes below, along with Ray's. And if you think that you would be a great fit for this podcast, please reach out. My email is ynqpod at gmail.com. Yn as in Nancy, qpod at gmail.com. I'd be stoked to hear from you. Or just send me your stories about imposter syndrome. I'm also really excited to hear those. What did you do in your life that you pivoted to something else? When were you told that you weren't qualified to do something? How did you overcome that? I want the good stuff. All right. I want to know how gritty all of you are because I know that you are. So your trivia today, Pegasus is mentioned a couple of times in this interview. I love 
that there's a Pegasus and Wingless. It brings the worlds together. As I mentioned in the beginning intro, we talked about religion and religion as we understand it in many denominations, the idea of a god that is a savior presence and mythology. The Pegasus and Wingless brings those worlds together. Mythology has gods, but in a way that differ from your like Lutheran version. Let's just use that as an example because that's how I grew up. So the trivia, when did Pegasus arrive on the scene? When was Pegasus, the idea of Pegasus, born? Or for those who believe in Greek mythology, when was Pegasus born? Pegasus is from Greek mythology. It is a winged horse that sprung from the blood of Medusa as she was beheaded from the hero Perseus. I had no clue that was where Pegasus came from, so really cool. Also, one thing that I found surprising about that research is there's only one Pegasus. I figured there'd be a whole herd of Pegasuses, Pegasi, and Pegasusi, Pegasus, Pegasusi, many Pegasus. I thought there would be more than one, but there is only one in mythology, which is very interesting. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next Thursday. Bye.